I think it's kind of been a testament to the fact that so far anyway, there's an opportunity to create experiences and that within the larger marketing mix, this, this genre of marketing, this tactic of marketing is kind of taken enough of a foothold that even if some things change, you know, the interest doesn't change, the budgets don't necessarily change. So it's a question of what are we doing and where are we doing it as opposed to whether we should be doing it at all. Hi, and welcome to another episode. With me today is Rob Drury from Cartwheel and Company. Welcome, Rob. Hey, how are you? I am awesome. Um, now, it's no mystery before these episodes, we tend to talk a little bit, and uh, I want to definitely get into some of the things we discuss. But before we do that, uh, if you could help bring our audience along uh, a little bit on your journey and how you ended where you are, uh, then we can get into the meat and potatoes. Yeah, for sure. Um I am a 20 plus year veteran in the experiential marketing industry. So, you know, showing my age, I guess a little bit, but was fortunate enough to start kind of when the industry was just beginning in the early 2000s. I was a partner um, at an agency called Lead Dog Marketing Group for 19 years, um, very much on that, you know, full startup to corporation journey from four people in a dingy office in New York City to you know, 150 plus people, and then ultimately an acquisition by a larger holding company and um, all that kind of fun stuff. So got the privilege of, of seeing uh, all sides as the industry grew. In particular within that, I ended up kind of running, starting and running the TV and media division. So did a lot of work with our large TV clients um, on consumer facing launches, advertising supported initiatives, um, all sorts of fun stuff uh, in the kind of experiential space, but really anchored in kind of New York and LA kind of TV and entertainment world. And then during the pandemic, um, broke off and, and started Cartwheel & Co., um, very much focused on what I'd been doing. So we're about three years in, just coming up on our three-year anniversary. We're an experiential and partnership agency. Um, we do a lot of work in lots of different categories, but primarily still in that kind of TV media space. So it's been an interesting 12 months for us, you know, as we kind of ride the uh, ride of the of the uh, entertainment space going through all sorts of changes. But that's my background and happy to be here. Awesome. And um, I, I want to get into what's going on in the in the media space for sure in a second. But before we do that, um, I think it's productive because not a lot of the marketers that may be listening to our show understand really what that means when you talk about experience marketing particularly in the context of, of how that's used to generate outcomes. So uh, can you help a little bit there first and foremost, and then we can get into some of the other stuff? Yeah, for sure. I mean, experiential, as it's now called, I think back when I started, it was called event marketing. It was kind of an offshoot of event production, at least in, in my world. But, um, you know, pretty much creating live events in order to connect people with brands in a meaningful way. That's probably the most distilled version I can give. So, you know, examples of that might be uh, sponsorship activation. That's something everyone's familiar with. You go to a sporting event, you go to a concert, you see, you know, XYZ uh, phone, cell phone brand or what have you having a presence on site. That's kind of an example of the types of stuff we do. A lot of the things in my world were really about um, bringing the world of TV shows and movies to life. Uh, so that's kind of a unique spin on it where we're really diving into the IP and to the world of that particular show 
um, and actually bringing that to life for fans. So that kind of bleeds into more of like the Comic-Con activation type stuff. Mm. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, experiences and activations are really meant to physically, literally bring people together um, with this kind of brand or product, let them experience it um, and give them kind of a more meaningful connection than they're going to get through traditional paid media. And very much it's that kind of, it's a smaller slice of the pie, I, I would suppose, in terms of that bigger marketing mix. But I think a lot of our, our marketing clients think of media as kind of the wider reach, right? There's all sorts of pieces of that funnel. Um, the kind of media is that sort of mass reach. And there's lots of other tactics that get more personal, more granular, and more immersive and experiential is probably on the far end of that, where you're not reaching as many people, but you're doing so in a really meaningful way. And hopefully that translates into action in some capacity, or certainly to a deeper connection with that brand or product. So that there, there's so much to unpack there with, with that. And uh, I think one of the things that I really want to kind of get to is, you know, clearly um, that that's not going to work for, for every brand necessarily. Um, or certainly it would be uh, not cost effective for, yeah, right. uh, for some brands, right. Particularly with a distributed audience or things like that. So, um, I, I guess this is a kind of a double question. What, um, apart from the, the entertainment industry, which clearly is a, a domain of specialty when, um, what industries does this work sort of exceedingly well for? And then what is the anatomy of an event like that kind of look like just from a, like large moving pieces? How does that kind of stuff work? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, it, it, I hate to give a, a generic answer. It can work for any industry. I, I suppose though, that's, that's <laughs> probably the case. I mean, even at its most basic form um, you know, conferences, Big showroom floor type stuff is is a, a is a um, a subset of experiential marketing, and that's been around longer than people have been saying experiential marketing. Right? People have been right. doing trade shows for you know dozens of right. years. Yeah. Um, I think it works well for anything that has a strong fan base or any kind of product where you want to physically get, if there's a, if there's a physical product, you kind of want to get it into people's hands. Um, Auto is a big one. They were kind of an early adapter where, you know, test drives, you know, trying to create an experience beyond just going down to your local dealership and taking a spin around the block, but actually doing something that spoke more to the brand itself rather mm. than just, just the product, but the product was also important. Um, so anything in that kind of physical product space, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think all advertising is really meant to tell a story about a brand that goes, it creates emotional connection beyond just Hey, here's our here's our box of Cheerios or here's our box of cereal. It's like, well, right. we stand for because there's lots of other cereals you can choose from. Why 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 would why should you choose ours? Why should you make an emotional connection with us? How can we make you become brand lo loyal? So, in the broader sense, I think experiences can do that in a in a very big way. Um, I'm trying to think of um, sports is a really big one. Again, anything with a with a kind of a, an existing fan base. Um, and I do think you're right. It's, you know, it, they're expensive. At the end of the day, events are, are in a lot of ways, the least bang for your buck in the marketing mix. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of the opposite of you're not going to achieve that huge reach, right? Um, 
there's only so many people you can physically reach at one time. There are exceptions to the rule. You can go to a Coachella where there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people over multiple days can go to big events like a Super Bowl or something like that. But for the most part, you're just not going to be able to reach the mass even remotely that you would over media, whether that's digital media or traditional linear, anything like that. So again, I think it's about finding the right people to bring into your event um, and also how you amplify that event. And, you know, that's been a bit of the evolution I've seen over the last 20 years where in the beginning of our world, it was events and whoever was on site was on site. You tried to maximize that, of course, but that was kind of where it stopped. Nowadays, you know, events are really, at least the, the experiences that we create are really a means to an end. Um, you're almost never going to achieve the ROI with the actual number of people in the room. So as social media has increased, you know, we've been able to piggyback off of that. And so social output, social amplification, content being pushed out on social channels um, and, you know, the rise of short form content and the importance of, you know, two minute videos, one minute videos, 30 second reels in our worlds that becomes part of the ROI of an experience. Earned media is a big part of the, um, the mix Partnerships can be a big part of that too. But at the end of the day, you're really, you're putting on these events, at least today we are, and this is kind of where the industry has evolved to, where we're putting on these events and then we're, there's some sort of an output from it that lets other people know about it. And, and, you know, in some cases, creating FOMO is the output, right? It's, it's about creating that, that photo or that video or bringing the right talent on site so that other fans or other consumers see it and go, oh, that was awesome. I wish I was there. That reaction is 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 sometimes the means to the end um so you know there's a lot of different ways to skin the cat but yeah i totally hear you in terms of of affordability and where does it make sense and we can certainly talk about cost and where it makes sense for marketers yeah and i, I, I there's a couple of things that are like um really spectacular about what you're doing with this uh, you, you know probably more than a couple but uh the, the ones that stick out to me um, uh, is the strong sort of emotional connection that is designed into what you're doing. I mean, that in and of itself is something that is a little bit differentiating for sure. Um, the other part of it is it sounds like you're going to have uh, maybe not the breadth, but certainly a ton of depth. I mean, these experiences have the potential to be something something re- someone remembers for a long time and talks about it for much, much longer. So you, you're you building a residual impact. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, for sure. And it's definitely going deep and not wide. I mean, that that's a sort of a general, and then of course, there are exceptions to the rule, but generally around experiences, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, I mean, you, you know, there's there's simpler things. Um, I'm at a 10 by, I'm at a NASCAR event and there's a 10 by 20 pop-up and it's for X brand. You know, that's probably not going to be as deep as museum. If you remember a few years ago, the museum of blank, right? Call it museum of ice cream, all those different things. I mean, those were whole worlds. There wasn't really a brand at the heart of it, but if you look at something like the museum of ice cream, which kind of took off, that was just about Instagram moments. You know, that was just about, filling your feed with beautiful stuff that you could then share with other people. Then you get things like, and again, these aren't even around brands. These are more art art installations like the traveling Van Gogh exhibit just on the right. road currently and been on the road. That's just taking, you know, some a piece of art that's people have known for years and reimagining it in a truly 
immersive way and it's a beautiful space to be. And yes, it fills your Instagram feed, but it also connects you with the art in a way that's very different than walking up to a painting and just looking at it. And by the way, people can't go to Van, like, go to all the Van Gogh paintings because you know they're not all in one place. Right. Um, so yeah, that idea of going deeper, of letting people um, experience whatever that might mean. It might mean touch and feel. It might be stimulating the five senses. It might mean um, congregating with other like-minded fans of something. You know, all of those are are part of it. But for sure, the idea is to create something really, really meaningful. Uh, which ultimately is going to spark word of mouth. And, you know, all of the tools in the marketing toolbox and everybody who went to school for it, you know, at the end of the day, nothing's as powerful, I don't think anyway, as your friend saying, hey, you got to check this thing out. And maybe your second friend says it. By the time your third friend says it, you're like, all right, man, I I got to do it. You know, I trust exactly. these people. Mike, Mike said it. Susie said it. You know, it must be good. Um, so, Hopefully, we're creating some of those moments that spark some of that dialogue outside of like a commercial spot, which, you know, can be really impactful, but you need to see it, you know, I don't know the exact data, but tons of times in order to be memorable. You know, there's all all those stories we all know anecdotally about, you know, oh, that's my favorite commercial, the one where the guy does blank. And then you go, yeah, what product is that for? And they're like, oh, it's for a bank, I think. And you're like, I've been seeing this for three months and I don't even have recall on it. So yeah, yeah. we try to be a little bit of a counterpoint to to that part of the of the marketing funnel. Huh. That's interesting. I want to get back to a couple um a couple points you made earlier. And and first let me ask like a, a, a goofy question, I guess, but like sure. you you decided to spin off an experience-based marketing business right before a global pandemic. During actually, yeah. How, how did you weather that? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think there was a couple of factors at play in my personal journey in 19 years at the company, but you know, I think a big piece of it was a little bit of a bet, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> I could, I, I very much was willing to put my money down that experiences weren't going anywhere. In fact, if anything, the pandemic had proven that isolation was not a, a healthy thing, uh, you know, and, and very quickly in my world, people re, um, pivoted to these virtual events, which were, you know, some more successful than others, but none of them really, I don't think captured the essence of, of a live event. And, and frankly, you know, a year and a half later, we don't see a lot of our virtual events anymore. I think they were a substitute for the real thing. So, you know, seeing all those happen, seeing that marketing budgets weren't disappearing, they were just pivoting and then that, that there was this hunger within the industry to do more. And on a personal level, everyone, you know, who didn't want to see their friends, who didn't want to just go to a supermarket without a mask on, like yeah, people yeah. are, you know, um, social creatures by nature. So, that that to me felt like okay, this is going to come roaring back, and therefore it's actually a great time to start because, you know, we can kind of get the foundation built um, without you know too many eyes on us, and we'll be in a great place once these things come roaring back. That was a kind of our bet, and knock on wood, it worked out pretty well. And twenty two and twenty three have been pretty big years for us. But um, yeah, that was that was a little bit of a goofy move, I guess you could say. But in in, in other ways, it, it made a lot of sense. It's it just I mean it's uh, out of adversity right you always get the uh, the interesting responses. So speaking of that though the um, 
it's got to be a, an impact on your business now that the you know SAG's on strike, the writer's strike just ended. Just for those that are getting this, you know, in their feed, and number of days, weeks, months, years from now. But um, how are you navigating those kind of work? changes in that space and you know obviously they're concerned about the impact of ai does that have an impact on you as well yeah um you know it, it going in reverse order the ai stuff hasn't impacted us directly yet but i suspect that it will um i think it's you know i think it's living within the marketing world i think it's probably living more in the advertising space because it's probably easier for AI to generate an ad than right. to, even if they design an event, you know, there's not going to be robots building an event anytime soon. There probably will be eventually, but hopefully I'll be retired by then. Um, <laughs> I got, you know, I got enough, I got enough to think about. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of um, the, the strike, yeah, I mean, it has had a pretty profound impact on the industry and therefore on our business you know, again, in the spirit of pivoting, we do a lot of work in the consumer space and a lot of work in the advertising space. And I think generally speaking, the entertainment world has been living in a content forward, not profit forward space for the last decade with the rise of streaming companies, where it's really about, really about churning out content. So we were around for a part of that. And we're able to work on really cool title launches like The Handmaid's Tale and, and Stranger Things. And you know, some really seminal shows. And it was really all about introducing those shows to fans. And then if there's second, third season, kind of reinforcing that fandom. Now the industry's very quickly moving to an advertising first model, revenue first model. It's all about how do you monetize this? And advertising is going to have to be a big part of that in a way that it traditionally has in the TV space, just not in the last 10 years. So, you know, even in the last few months, we're doing business in the upfront new front space, which if your listeners aren't familiar, those are big events in New York City where networks will get together with a bunch of advertisers and media buyers and tell them about their upcoming content. They'll put on a show at like a Radio City Music Hall, um, a theater show um, explaining it. And then there's a big after party. So, you know, knock on wood, we've been able to pivot and roll with the punches over the last few months. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say we haven't missed a beat. It's been some challenges this year, but we're doing fine. And, you know, I think it's kind of been a testament to the fact that so far anyway, there's an opportunity to create experiences and that within the larger marketing mix, this, this genre of marketing, this tactic of marketing is kind of taken enough of a foothold that even if some things change, you know, the interest doesn't change, the budgets don't necessarily change. So it's a question of what are we doing and where are we doing it as opposed to whether we should be doing it at all. Um, so that's good news for us, certainly. Um, but yeah, it's been a wacky year. It's definitely been a, a roll with the punches type of environment. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and I want to get to uh, a couple quick questions here as we start to wrap up. The first one is um, for a, a junior marketer or somebody just getting involved in this space, um, are there ways to dip your toe in the experience marketing kind of stuff without uh, committing to a huge event right out of the gate where they're not sure if it's going to work for their industry or, you know, things like that. In some cases, for example, when you're doing cold outreach, it's easy. Emails cheap and easy to experiment with. Is there an equivalent in the event space that makes sense for most businesses to try before you buy? Um, 
Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think first and foremost, I would just do the do the research. I know that sounds very basic, but there are so many existing experiences and activations and events out there already that probably something similar to whatever somebody wants to do has been tried before. And so I'd start by looking there and and, and honestly talking to people such as myself. I mean, there's lots and lots of agencies out there, lots of in-house people um, that can do this, that can very quickly say, hey, this is what you might expect. And, you know, I think probably the biggest concern for people listening would be, hey, this sounds neat. What are budgets cost, right? Um, I mean, events are, they're a tough business. They're very labor intensive. They're very expensive. And they tend to have a really short shelf life. So you really need to know what you're doing before you get involved. You you don't want to learn on the fly in this industry just because there's so much time and money at stake. Mm. Um, And answer your question directly of like, is there like a dip your toe into the water type of event? I, I don't know if I have a great answer other than like start small, you know, crawl, walk, run, that kind of thing. Like, you know, if you're looking to reach a certain consumer, Find out where that consumer is and see if there's a way that you can get in front of them in an affordable way. Um, Sponsorship of small events. Again, this is, it's very hard to contextualize this depending on who's listening and what kind of industries they're in. But, um, you know, sponsorship of a small regional event or a small local event, if you want to like talk to customers, for example, might be a way to do it. You know, um, I certainly wouldn't go out and throw your own con. You know, that's probably the other end of the scale. Um, you know, um, but that, but, you know, for a small event like that, right? Like it would be, it's one thing for, you know, your local, whatever HVAC company to toss their, you know, brand on an event. It's another thing for them to actually show up at the booth that they're sponsoring and have music playing and then hand out the shirts for anybody that comes by. I mean, that's, those are two completely different experiences. One is, you know, you see what's going on and the other ones you actively participate. So, I mean, there's ways to cross that chasm that don't necessarily um, involve, you know, huge amounts of resource, even though, I mean, I guess being in person is is in and of itself uh, relatively expensive. Um, yeah, no, that's that's much. right. That's very fair. And, you know, it's it's interesting. You said, I think you used the word active or something, and that's that's exactly how it's referred to. Sponsorship activation is the word that we use in our in our space, where if you're going to spend money on a sponsorship, you know, I think the model is you're going to spend a, a give or take that same amount of money to activate that sponsorship. Mm. So, you know, I think gone are the days of slap your logo on something and hope for the best. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> you know, so what does that look like? That doesn't have to, that activation doesn't have to be an experience, but usually that's going to be a part of it in some way. So even if it's to your point, showing up at, at an event bringing your product, if there is one, talking to people. I mean, the power of one-on-one conversation is massive. I mean, there's no form of media that allows you to do that right now. Maybe there are some new digital AI things out there, but you know, for the most part, you mentioned the HVAC company. Like, If you want to be on the front lines, talking to your customers, telling them why they should give you a shot, telling them, you know, maybe offering them some kind of a discount, um, that's going to go a lot further than an ad in a local newspaper. Now, in terms of engagement, in terms of reach, it's not going to go as far. Right. So, you know, I wouldn't ever recommend somebody's entire marketing mix be experiences. Um, I also, you know, in some cases, 
uh, I wouldn't recommend that their entire marketing mix be media. So, you know, I think the stuff that we do is certainly, like I said, at the the top, a slice of the pie. And, um, you know, it's kind of a case by case basis where it fits in, but when done correctly, it really does have an impact and, you know, the results are, are more measurable than, than you'd think. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, people tend to like it too. Even CEOs like doing it. The people, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's more fun in 90% of the cases than, than, than a spot. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Rob, I need to to start wrap this up and I want to ask you a couple uh, quickish questions. The first is, um, so who should reach out to you in general and how can they get a hold of you? I want to give you a, a kind of a, a chance to talk about kind of who you typically work with and and folks that may be on the fence there about whether or not experience could be a valuable part of their program. How should they get a hold of you? Sure. Um, yeah, you can give me a call. Um, Cartwheel and Co. Marketing or Cartwheel and Company Marketing are our two URLs. So there's a contact info on that site. You can also see a bit of our work there. Um, in terms of who should reach out, I mean, I think anyone who's interested, happy to always have a conversation. We tend to work with, you know, kind of more established brands in the experience space that are either going to have a presence at a conference or a festival or going to do their own operated event. Um, but, you know, we're a young group and I, I always love talking to people and helping them out. And anyone who thinks, hey, this might be for me, I think is is a great candidate to reach out and uh, have a conversation. Awesome. And in your journey to become the experiencing marketing guru that you are, what are the three biggest kind of lessons that you picked up along the way? Gosh, um, I think persistence. Uh, I mean, this is part as a business owner and part as an experiential marketer. marketer. Um, just starting where the industry was really small and and trying different things out. You know that that old you know try try again. <laughs> Uh, that idea of, of of fail forward, I think, is 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 a pretty important one in life. Maybe it's not specific to experiences in general. Um, I think the second is kind of like like I, I said earlier, like do your homework. You know, there's so much information available out there now because this has been around for so long that you definitely don't need to try by doing. You can learn from those who have come before, um, and. Yeah, I guess I'd say, and this is very specific to events, so maybe this is a, a nice counterpoint to those broader ones, is like venue matters. Um, where you're hosting an event uh, is going to dictate a lot of what you can and can't do. Um, if you want to serve food, well, where's that kitchen coming from? Is it food made ahead of time? What's the infrastructure of the venue? So really be thoughtful about where you where you physically want to be. Uh, as I would say that's a really great starting point and an anchor, and then the rest can kind of fit around that. But if you can be anywhere in a particular city to host your event, it's going to be the options are going to potentially be overwhelming. Um, so that's just a really good place to start. Awesome. Rob, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, and I yeah, definitely encourage uh, everybody that's listening that wants to learn more. Uh, look in the show notes right below here and uh, you'll see a little bit more information with links to where to find uh, Rob and more of his work. Thanks, Thanks again. Brian. This has been awesome. I really appreciate it. Hey, you. Yes, you. It's uh, 2024 and you don't have a podcast yet. Or maybe you do, but you're struggling with it. 
we will talk to you about that uh, for free. We'll help you figure out uh, where you might be stuck, uh, whether or not we can help you for sure. But also, uh, if you don't have one yet, what are the like first five things you can do? Uh, what are some great angles that you can use to make sure that your podcast was sustainable as you start to develop that moving forward? Uh, those consults are free. So reach out at the link below uh, in the show notes or email me at brian at podcastchef.com. Thanks. Hi, this is Brian. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, our website, podcastchef.com, has a ton of useful information about how to best leverage podcasting to help you solve some of your business goals and challenges. You can also schedule a demo uh, where we can show you how specifically Podcast Chef and our team can help you with some of your podcasting goals. Thanks.